Um, I'd like to apologise for this in a way, um, because um, I started this off. And this morning, Peter and myself are going to do a bit of a double act on this, on this theme. But if you go back to that week of prayer that we had, way back in June, um, I brought a prophetic word, and it was one of those interesting prophetic words, because sometimes I've been in a meeting and felt, yeah, this is what God wants to say now. This thing had buzzed around with me for probably the best part of a week, and left me thinking, well, is this for me? Is it, you know, is it for somebody else? Is it for general consumption? And they got a point in the meeting when, um, you know, it was a bit like the orchestra, the, the, the conductor had pointed at me and said, you're on. And the word I brought was this. Let me, re- let me rehearse it to you. I said this, I'm told. Uh, I invite you to dream your dream. What you wish to see, changes in people's lives, submit that dream to me and I'll direct you. Don't be vague, dream what you wish to see happen and expect me to fulfil it. And that was the word that I brought way back in June. Still very, very fresh with me. Um, and as we explored the preaching programme for this session we're in at the moment, um, this spread out into three sessions, so this is the middle of, middle of the three. But um, last week, if you remember, Keith began this, and he went on to point out this. Let's be clear about what we mean, mean by dreams. Uh, dreams that we're talking about are not something as a result of eating cheese last thing at night. Uh, they're not some vague fantasy, but what Keith said, and this is working from his notes, nice picture of him, isn't there? wonder how long that took. Oh, no um, what, what Keith said last week was, what David did not mean was sometimes weird, sometimes surreal nighttime dreams and or nightmares. What David felt God is saying is that we need to have a picture of our future in terms of our hopes or our aspirations. Now, making sense so far? Because in Port, we get that quite clear, what we're actually talking about in terms of dreams. And he then spent a little while, which I'm going to just re- rehearse again this morning, so to really just to focus in on what we're doing. He then talked about, okay, so how do we actually develop this? Let's suppose that God has put something into your heart, something for your future, and it might be way in the future, it might be in the next couple of weeks, but he's put something there, and it's a dream, it's a concept, it's something that you feel God is saying, yes, start to work in harmony with that, start to focus your life in that. Making sense? Okay, what do you do about it? The first thing is, actually set aside some quality time to pray and think. And how you go about that, I don't mind. My quality time to praying and thinking is walking the dog. Um, It's it's a wonderful time, and no, I'm not going to be disturbed. But if you feel that God has put something into your heart for your future, whether it's the immediate future or for the long-term future, actually set some time aside to think and pray about that. Please notice it says think. It doesn't say turn this off. You think about it, you pray about it, and the two should come together. Write things down that seem significant, write things down that seem important. Uh, Some people, I mean I'm one of them, will write lots of notes. Some people just write down the key things. There's a friend of mine who, I don't know how he does it, will actually write down key things, if he's listening to a lecture or something, in cartoon form. I don't know how it works for him, but it does, trust me. What I'm saying is, write it down in some way record it because otherwise you forget exactly what God is saying to you 
then continue to daydream and pray. I'm not sure about daydream. I suppose what it means is mull it over. And mull it over when you're waiting for the train. You'll probably have plenty of time, so you might as well use it. Um, but continue to daydream. Continue to actually think it through and pray it through. And finally, share. Now, this is where we all come in. This is where there's no observers. Because the other thing that Keith said is, okay, supposing someone comes along and says, all right, I feel that God is really saying this to me regarding my future. Well, what do you do? Don't make an immediate judgment. If I come along and say to Peter, Peter, I feel God is really calling me to be an Olympic athlete. Please don't burst out laughing. I probably got it wrong, but don't make the judgment immediately. Instead, ask some questions. Ask if someone comes along to you and says, I hope they will, and says, I feel God has got this in line for me. And that's what it might be a job, it might be something as basic as that. It may be something in the church. It may be something you want to see happen in your family. But if you believe that God has put something in your heart for the future, actually share it with someone. And when you're, if you're the person it's being shared with, ask some questions. Clarify exactly what you think this is about. And finally, say back to the person, when you've come to some understanding, okay, can we just be clear about what we've said? Can we be quite clear about what it's going to look like, what it's going to, how it's going to end up? And then, yeah, again, it's a good tip. Works more for better, most better for some people than others. Write things down that seem significant. Write things down that seem important and have become clear. And this, again, this goes right through this process. More quality time to pray and think. In my case, probably a lot of dog walking. But more quality time to actually pray and think about what you feel that God is saying to you. And finally, good one this, write down an action list. Because if God is saying something to you for your life, or for your future, or for something you want to see happen, he's probably going to say, he's probably going to say, in which case you need to do this. Making sense? Sure? Right, okay. So let's leave what Keith said last week, and let's talk about... Oh, sorry. Forgot about this. We're going to come back to this on the 25th of October. So, bear that in mind, we'll say a bit more about that later. On the 25th of October, we're back to dreams for our final session. Let's talk about our friend Joseph. I uh, talked a little bit about him last week in a completely different context. But interesting character, Joseph. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of versions of Joseph. There's the um, Joseph in the Amazing Technical Dream Coat, where he's a real sort of jolly, leaping all over the stage character. Um, there's the rather you know, crazy character you get in children's cartoons sometimes. And then there's the one in the middle, where he's a very, very important member of Pharaoh's court. And there's all stages in between. Well, I'm sorry, I think Joseph was one of the most annoying characters possible. I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely convinced that he was so annoying that if I'd been standing there with the brothers alongside that drainage ditch, uh, I'd have probably been saying, yeah, go on, go on, go on, <laughs> get him in there. Because I, I think he really must have been one of the most annoying people that ever walked this earth at that stage. 
Now, let's have a look and see what the dreams were that Joseph was actually given. If you've got a Bible handy, turn to Genesis chapter 37, will you? If you haven't, don't worry, I'll read it quite clearly. But these are the dreams that Joseph had at that stage, when he was probably 13, 14, something like that. Um, seems to become accepted as an adult. But um, let's see what actually happens. So let's read these first few verses of chapter 37 of Genesis. Jacob, his father, dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Cana. This is the history of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brothers and the lad was with the, with the sons of Bilhal and the son, sons of Zippah, his father's wives and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. In other words, Joseph at this stage is saying to his father they're not up to much this lot, are they? You know, they're being really disloyal or they're not doing the job properly and they're out with the sheep. He was giving a bad report, it says here to his father about his brothers and don't forget, he was the youngest at that stage. And Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was a son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colours. In other words, he made him important in the family. Far more important than he really should have been at that age. And when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and couldn't speak peaceably to him. And Joseph kept his head down. Nope. And Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. You can imagine their reaction, but he still told them. There were binding sheaves, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and all stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all round me and bowed down, down to my sheaf. And his brothers said, Shall you indeed reign over us? Shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I, I've dreamed another dream. Uh, and, and this time the sun, the moon and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And he told it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to, to the earth before you? And his brother envied him and his father kept the matter in mind. Now in that context, can you, can you begin to have a little bit of sympathy with the brothers? I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think if I'd been around now, I might have been standing there saying, yeah, go on, get him. You know, he must have been the most insufferable individual going. But the fact is, over those dreams, he completely mishandled it. He completely mishandled it. And we can mishandle what God says to us quite easily. Let me have a look at what he dreams. If you actually look at what he says, it was actually quite vague. There weren't any details in it. And it's very interesting, very often, about what God talks about, or sometimes when people have got great dreams about the future, they can be quite vague. They're not, there's no detail. I was quite struck recently that, um, I was preparing for this, I read that great speech by Martin Luther King during the Thousand Men March in the 60s to Washington. You listen to that speech sometimes, it's available on iPlayer, and then actually listen to what he actually says. It's actually quite vague. It's wonderful stuff. But, you know, when you actually say, hold on a minute, Dr. King, what's it actually look like? What's it going to end up like? It's actually quite vague. 
it needed some meat putting on it. And those dreams that Joseph had were actually quite vague regarding his future. And he hadn't realised that. He handled it badly, and he certainly did. He certainly did handle it badly. He really, he really, he really got over the top in the way he explained it to his brothers and his to his family. He must have made himself so unpopular in the way he behaved over it. It was a genuine dream, it was definitely from God. But my goodness, he handled it, handled it badly. And the third point I'm going to make is this. He failed to realise that there's a process to be gone through. You see, before you see Joseph in Egypt as the second most important person after Pharaoh, with the power of life and death, able to move huge resources around, 20, 25 years later, a lot had happened. And we're going to ask ourselves a little question, it's this. How did he move from that rather annoying little individual, who I can't imagine anybody liking, who was always shooting his mouth off, for a better word, who was you know, saying how important I am, and he moved from that to being a very responsible, very, very senior person in Egypt. Something must have happened. Two things must have happened. First of all, he must, he must have dealt with his attitudes. He could not have done the job he did in Egypt and been a total insufferable bore, which I think he was. The other thing he must have acquired was an awful lot of skills. Think of some of the things he did in Egypt. He was responsible for moving around great resources of grain and food. That involves involving men. Involving, involving, involving people, using people, managing people. And he had not, he'd acquired a lot of, some sort of good attitudes, he'd acquired a lot of good skills in the intervening 25 years. And I'm afraid he didn't do it easily. Because if you look at the story, well let's have a look what happened. We read about that, this first part, the coat and the dreams, when he was so insufferable it's just not true. Well, what happens after that? This man who thought himself, this young man who thought he, he was going to be so important, he sold as a slave. Well, actually, I don't think they were intending to sell him as a slave. I think they were intending to leave him down there. You can see those water, water, water systems all over the Middle East. You know, they, and they, they just sit there dry for most of the year. And they, I think the plan was to leave him there. He sold as a slave. Well, what does he do? He's sold as a slave, and he goes to Egypt, and he works as a slave. Well, he could have said, sorry, that's it, whatever God said to me, clearly not going to happen. Well, he seems to have hung on to his vision. He seems to have hung on to the dream that God had given him. And he was a very, very successful slave, until his owner's wife lied about him, accused him of trying to have an affair with her. And he ends up in prison. You think things can get worse? Well, they did. He ended up in prison. And what happens there? He develops all sorts of skills, all sorts of attitudes, and one of the things he does, he suddenly becomes actually quite responsible in prison. The jailer trusts him. The jailer trusts him with responsibility. And he's also able to help two of his prisoners by interpreting the, dream, the dreams they'd had and saying what they were all about. Then eventually he's called into the court of Pharaoh and is given the huge responsibilities he was given and somehow or other, I think, the 25 or so years later, he was a very, very different man 
to what he was at 17. Do you agree? Very, very different. Now, I said it was going to be a double act with Peter. So, what I want you to do is this. In case you thought you were just going to sit there, you're not. Um, what I'd like you to do is this. I would like you to get yourselves into twos and threes, and I want you to think back about those verses, the story of Joseph, and I want you to think about, okay, what skills and what attitudes, what happened, to, what did Je Joseph actually acquire, what did he actually take into himself in that 25-year period? Does that make sense? Speak to me. Sure? Right, so this is the point where I hand over to Peter. So, twos and threes, about 10, maybe 15 minutes to the outside. Go on, off you go. Have a talk to the person next to you. Yes, I'm putting those back. Okay, guys. And ladies? Yeah. All right, good. So you've had uh, opportunity to, uh, to have a think about this. And what we're going to do is to take from you various thoughts about Joseph's passage from being a precocious young brother to being a wise, sensitive, powerful ruler that he became. So... Uh, we're going to chart the we're going to chart the passage from one to the other, as discussed in your groups. If you can make your comments uh, pithy and short, then I can write them down. Um, so let's go for it. Deb, would you would your group start? Or can you can you pick just a couple of things that you've identified? As, as important things that he learnt. Be under authority. Okay. So he was learnt to submit. And also, yeah, he learnt leadership. Which is an important learning to submit is an important part of that, is it? Leadership. Okay, that, no, that's, that's good. Um, Peter? I just immediately he learned not to give temptation. Resist temptation, yep. Could you say that again? So he acknowledged that God is the source of his wisdom. Yep, okay. Moving on. So could we say that God had managed his development all the way, all the way through? Okay. Only, um, I think it's okay at the moment. So he moved from being arrogant to humble. Yep. Okay. Next group. Who was, who was the next group? Um, Don't have to have every group, by the way, but you know, any others. Yeah, John. Okay, um, he, was, he, was, uh, he learned how uh, when to shut up and to talk. Initially, he was, when he was dreaming and all that, he didn't shut up, he didn't keep quiet. But he, 
as time went on, he kept quiet. Okay. Right. <laughs> Why do you think I asked you to do this? <laughs> Uh, and the other thing that you thought is that he also uh, moved to somebody who was irresponsible and uh, to somebody who accepted responsibility. Fine. Peter, your group. Well, I've got a bit of side track really on, on the dream, the dreaming, and the character and the personality of, of Joseph. Not, not a dream, you know, being that's been said, for example, I wouldn't say he's irresponsible, no, the tactless. I think might be quite responsible with him to share his dream, although, because we've been encouraged to share dreams, and they may not come in in a very clever way. Um, and neither of his fault that his father promoted him above brothers, and at 17, that's not easy to cope with. If someone says you're the tops, you're going to believe you're the tops. So it wasn't as quite straightforward as sometimes we're. <coughs> We've shown that about Joseph, and we can be a little bit unkind to him. But certainly, he did need to learn and would have learned tact and diplomacy um, and how to handle these things as he matured and went through, and also his trust and relationship with God. Right, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I wonder when, when Joseph had his dream. Did he recognise that it was from God? We can look back and say, oh yeah, it was God. But if when he had the dream, what did he attribute his source to? Well, well Daniel pointed out his relationship with Jacob, who was a dreamer himself, had yeah. important yeah. and very significant dreams from God. So was this a, you know, a genetic thing? But Jacob certainly said, took it to heart. That means he, he realised these dreams were significant. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What was that again, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> so. Just tact and diplomacy. Tact and diplomacy. Okay, fine. Um, Jean, you and your group. Patience. Patience. Right. <laughs> you, weren't in, you weren't in a group team, <laughs> In fact, I never visualised mine. I just felt that Dave, uh, Joseph was a man of two robes. Um, he was given two robes, one, one by his father when he was a, a young man, mm. and he couldn't handle this one. He didn't know how to handle this one. And he went through life and he was struggling with, with all of that, and he just completely mishandled how to do that. Went through all that experience, all through prison. When he came out and was speaking to Pharaoh, what did Pharaoh do? He took a robe and he put a robe on him and he called him Zaphtanaeah. And uh, he was elevated as a prince of Egypt. And the robe was a part of that. And then so we have, he moved from uh, one dispensation, the one time of authority, which he mishandled, to another time of authority, which he did handle, and he was able to handle, and there's a lot in that. So the point that we're actually making is this. What Pete's take us through there is a process. 
And what you'll so often find is, God will put something into our heart, and it will start to develop as a dream or something where we're focusing on something we want to achieve. It can be something very basic, by the way. There you go. Thank you very much. Pete, do you want to say good night? I've got something I want to say, but oils. I was just, I was just struck when I was thinking about it and uh, uh, mentioning just whether um, Joseph actually attributed his dream to God. Um, had had God had given me a dream, um, whatever happened after that, I would link in to God fulfilling that, if you like. Um, so if I'd have recognised that. Um, God had given me this dream about my brothers bowing down to me and so on, and I ended up in a, in a system or sold as a slave, I wouldn't be uh, very happy about it. But I think I would, I hope that I would attribute that, or at least be saying, hey, God must be in this if he's, if he's going to bring about the fulfilment of the dream that he gave me. And I just wonder if, God, if Joseph had that assurance or whether it was just, these were just things that happened to him that looking back and in hindsight he could see, ah, that's what God was doing. And really what I'm saying is that it's my conviction that to achieve what God wants to do with us we're to go through a process. We're to go through a we're to go through a process where God actually makes us into what he wants us to be. Making sense? Think about Joseph a minute. I reckon that was the school of hard knocks he went through. Things, all sorts of things went wrong, but it produced him as the man of God that he was at the end, the great, the great and effective leader he was at the end. And if we're going to achieve what God wants to do with us, we need to get, uh, allow him to put us through that process of developing us as people. Let me close this part by talking about my dream. My dream that's motivated me for quite a long time now started in 1970. Um, I, was still in, I was in my final year in Birmingham in 1970 and, I, and we, Hillary and myself went to this... Um, camp run by these two crazy Welshmen called Bryn Jones and Kerry Jones and it was a really small affair compared to some of the big events some of us went to later I think there were about 50 people on site if that and Hillary played the piano for them you know. and I came from a very traditional brethren background and certainly one of the things I was taught quite clearly about the um, not trying to be unkind to them one of the things I was taught quite clearly about the um, second coming, about the end times, was <clears throat> that things would get worse and worse and worse and worse, and the church would be sort of hanging on by its fingernails, and eventually what Dave Mansell described as the seventh cavalry would arrive and suddenly whisk us away before things got really bad. It was something I never felt comfortable with. It was something I never felt comfortable with in terms of Jesus coming back for a bride, for a holy spotless bride. That didn't seem to fit. And what we were presented with at that camp was a picture, and it stuck with me for a little while of the idea of the kingdom of God as being the power in the land of the, of the glory of God filling the earth of Jesus coming back for a holy spotless bride which is quite different to what I'd been taught previously 
Monday. The verse that they hung on in 1970 was this. And I know this is slightly out of context, but you've got to take it with other verses. I think it holds together if you do. And it was Isaiah talking about the latter days. And it says this. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, the church I believe, shall be established on top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, all nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, who will teach us his ways, and we'll walk in his path. And I was absolutely taken up in 1970 by the glory of God filling the earth. By the way, how does the glory of God fill the earth? Like the Weetabix adverse? Nice healthy glow? No. The glory of God fills the earth through people like you and me. And it's talking, what one commentator referred to, as the great end time revival. Do I believe it's going to happen? Yes, I do. And I don't care what else is happening in the world, but I'm still absolutely convinced that's what we're heading towards. Please don't ask me for a time scale, I can't give you one. But do I believe that's what we're heading for? Yes. And in 1970, that absolutely filled me. I went back to Birmingham, um, I went back to the church I was part of, and that vision that was so clear, that dream that was so clear, flitted away, went away. Now I'm not going to say the next ten years were wasted, if I do Hillary will kill me, because during that time I got married, we produced two children, um, but something happened in 1980. In 1980, um, in South Green Chapel we were well then, um, we felt as a leadership that we were frankly getting nowhere and we invited Dave Mansell, Dave Halls as some of you might have come across to come over and talk to us and say what should we be doing next that's what we took us back to now what I'm saying is this that I suddenly realised in 1980 that God was taking me back to the dream that he had given me in 1970 and in the intervening 1980, what are we? 36 years? If you ask me, what has been the dream that has motivated me? What's kept me going when things have got not worked out right? It is the idea of the glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's what kept me going. And how I have to tweak the dream sometimes, how I have to tweak somehow, well, I'm not quite sure, I'm not quite sure how that's going to work out there. And you look at some events, you think that's not quite right, but it's clearly working out. I mean, look what's happening in China at the moment. Some provinces in China have got more Christians than they have non-Christians. The glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. Do I see it happening? Yes. And that concept, the glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea, has motivated me for the last 36 years and by the grace of God it will continue to motivate me I'm going to stop there um, we're going to continue this on the 23rd except this is the commercial if you're looking for a good read very fetching photograph of my computer there as I couldn't cut off in a month um, Dave Matthews who wrote this book, Dead Dreams Can Live, based on the story of Joseph. I thoroughly recommend it. It's been out of print for about 20 years. It's now available in Kindle. I thoroughly recommend that you buy it, borrow it, get hold of it, and read it, because it will motivate you to consider what are my dreams, what, are my, what am I seeking to do in my life, and it will also 
help you to get through the processes, just like Joseph did, to achieve the dreams that God has given you.